morning, y'all. Uh, it's good to be with you guys this morning and keeping with the spirit of thanks with Thanksgiving coming up. I just want to thank everybody who helped out with our RUF International Thanksgiving event yesterday. Uh, it was a great time. Students had a great time. Uh, there was lots of good food. Uh, so thank you guys for helping us welcome the nations, helping us serve these students by preparing a dish, by hanging out with them, uh, by giving rides, uh, some of you did. So um, I'm thankful for you guys, I'm thankful for the students, and I'm thankful that they got to experience, a lot of them, their first American Thanksgiving meal. Um, so thank you, I appreciate you guys. We're looking this morning at the Ten Commandments, and as you think of the Ten Commandments, I want you to kind of uh, play a little word association, not verbally, but just think about some of the words, the first words especially, that come into your mind when you hear the law, when you hear the Ten Commandments. What are you thinking? And really, how far down the list is the word love? I know for me, it's not one of the first words I think of. I might think more kind of like, ugh, or the law is restrictive, the Ten Commandments are restrictive, they're a bummer, they're not fun. Um, and maybe you are thinking some of the same things as well. I consider myself a repenting legalist. I like to play by the rules. Uh, Mary Rose has given me a hard time for when we first started dating especially. I insisted on using crosswalks anytime. I would never cross the street if it wasn't for a crosswalk. Um, and that's my relationship with the law. It's not one of love, but it's one of doing the right thing so that nobody can hold anything against me and so that nobody could say that I'm not good enough or I didn't do things the right way. But what our passage this morning with the Ten Commandments are going to show us is that God's relationship to the law, God's law that comes from him, is not like that. It's not one of power, but it's a law of love. Psalm 119 verses 159 and 60 say, Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Does that describe our relationship to God's law? If it doesn't, what does that say about our relationship to God himself, our relationship with the God who is the source of these commandments? So think of that as we hear now from Amy, the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the, land of, out, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you your, or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of trumpet, of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Amy. Let's go now to this God in prayer. God in heaven, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. We thank you that you are God of provision. Lord, you gave us your law. And you gave us so much, Lord, for which we are thankful. Please, Lord, be with us in this time. Please bless our time in your word this morning. God, I ask that you would speak through me by your spirit. And Lord, as we look at the law, we pray that your spirit, as you promised, would write your law on our hearts. Lord, we ask these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were in Exodus 17, where we saw God's provision, his protection, and his presence with his people, even when they doubted him. And now we've kind of skipped ahead, we've skipped some stuff, coming to Exodus 20, as we start wrapping up our Exodus series uh, before Advent. Um, But one of the things that, that we could have looked at, but that is important to note as we look at God's Ten Commandments this morning is a couple verses in the previous chapter in Exodus 19 where God is preparing his people to receive the law. And he's talking to Moses and he says to Moses in chapter 19 verses four through six, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. What we see that and what we see in the first two verses of our passage, and really through all the commandments, the bridge between what we looked at last week and what we see this week is God's identity. At the very beginning of this verse, we see a mirror of what happened in the very beginning of all history, at the very beginning of the Bible. We see God speaking 
order into chaos. We see him speaking these words, saying, verse 2, I am the Lord, your God. And beyond him speaking order into chaos, we also see him identifying himself with his name, as he did with Moses in Exodus 3. Moses asked him at the burning bush, who, they will ask for a name, who shall I tell them sent me? And that's when God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. That's what we see anytime we see the Lord in all caps, especially in the Old Testament. That's a placeholder for God's divine name, Yahweh. And we see him saying that again here. And lastly, we see him identifying himself as the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember? God's identity is tied to his actions for his people. And that's part of what we see as he gives the laws, he gives the Ten Commandments. And all this is before we've even heard a single commandment. God is affirming who he is. He's showing himself and revealing himself to us. And that is good news. It's it's good to know that God identifies himself to his people, not just with words, but also with actions. But as we look at these commandments, whatever anxieties we're bringing to this text this morning, we see that because of our sin, because of our sinfulness, we think of the law as restrictive. We may think we're trading one form of slavery for another. We're trading living in Egypt with being a slave to these laws. Whether it's the Ten Commandments, whether it's general auto care guidelines and rules, whether it's Ikea instructions. For me personally, my relationship to the law, as I said before, is one of following these very closely so that one, I don't look like an idiot for failing to follow simple directions, and two, so I can look really good for doing something right. But there's a lot of pressure that comes with this legalistic relationship to the law. There's no room for grace in this kind of relationship. Either it's right or it's wrong. And for me personally, it's wrong almost all the time. Even IKEA instructions, IKEA is great. We have a lot of IKEA furniture and they make it simple. They make straightforward instructions. But it wasn't even too long ago when I was trying to put together a china cabinet and got a third of the way through, realizing that I had done almost all of it backwards. I failed, and the instructions showed me how I failed. So is the fault with the law, is the fault with these instructions, or is the fault with me? The law shows us that the fault is with us, it's with me, it's with our sin as sinful people and as lawbreakers. The law shows us how we have fallen short. It shows us who we are by our very nature. And of course, there's so much we could say about the law, there's so much we could say about even each one of these commandments that we're not going to today. I mean, each one could have its own whole list, whole series of sermons. But for today, we're going to see how the law, how the Ten Commandments show us our true nature. And we're going to see how God uses the law and how God uses the commandments to change that identity, to change 
who we are from sinful people. Our perspective, our experience, tell us something different from what God tells us by his law. We may come to this and we see a lot of no's, we see a lot of don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. It all sounds negative. It can sound like God is a hater or like God is the fun police by telling us all the things that we cannot do. Even reading some of the literature from the daycare that we're going to be bringing Arthur to when we take him to daycare when Mary Rose goes back to work, they say we use positive commands instead of negative ones. We say walk instead of don't run because that is going to be more enabling and more freeing to the children. And when we come to the law, we need to, we need to think about who we're listening to. It can sound great to be freeing, to be permissive, to be accepting. But are we listening to God? Are we listening to what God is saying about us? Or are we listening to our own experiences and ourselves and what we think is best? If we're listening to ourselves, the law is going to feel restrictive. And it feels restrictive because it's going against our very programming. It's going against our very nature as sinful people. Scripture tells us that we are sinful, that none of us can do good, as Paul says in Romans 3, not even one. And it's easy to give in to the first lie, the lie of the evil one, as our first parents did when he said to Adam and Eve, did God actually say you can't eat any tree of the garden? And after that said, you will not surely die For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Like Adam and Eve, we want to be like God. In fact, we want to be our own gods. We might have anxiety. We might not like coming to the Ten Commandments because we want to write our own commandments. We don't want anybody else telling us how we should live or what we should do or when we should do it. We want to do what we want, when we want, without any instruction or correction. Interacting with international students, I have the privilege of interacting with different cultures, even different religious backgrounds. But whether students are religious, whether they are part of a different religion, or even the ones that are agnostic or irreligious or atheistic, There's a lot of moral relativism that's going on. And you might have experienced this too. I mean, I think Christianity certainly is not immune from this kind of, well, as long as it's not hurting anybody, it's fine. We can do what we want. But the lie of moral relativism is that if we're trying to do something without hurting anybody, we're we're really just considering ourselves. We're like, well, as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, I can do whatever I want. But even all the people in this room, all the people everywhere, we can't be the gods of our own kingdoms. We can't have our own set of rules because we're not taking into account anybody else. And because of that, we're guaranteed to infringe upon other people's ability to even do that. And we're guaranteed to hurt other people. And we're guaranteed to do that because sin affects other people. Sin affects our relationship 
with each other. That's why most of these commandments are about our relationship with each other, are about our behavior towards one another. The problem is not the law. The problem is with sin. Our sin, our culture even can tell us, do whatever feels best, do whatever seems right. Who knows us better than ourselves? But God's word, God himself tells us that we are made for a relationship. We're made to interact with other people. So that puts an end to our, I'm just going to be independent, I'm going to do what I want, and I'm not going to let anybody else tell me what to do. God made us in his image. He made us to be in relationship with him, but also to be in relationship with each other. The law, the Ten Commandments on their own, cannot fix this sin issue that we have. It shows us how we have fallen short. And we might, like the rich young ruler, like plenty of people in the New Testament, think, oh, I've kept all these commandments from, our, from my youth. I've never stolen anything. I've never murdered anybody. I've never committed adultery. But James chapter 2 tells us, for whoever falls short in one point of the law has become accountable to all of it, because all of it is from God. So the one who murders is guilty of stealing because he's broken the whole law. Likewise, Jesus himself in his Sermon on the Mount says to us, said to the audience, whoever murders will be liable to judgment, the same as anyone who is angry towards his brother. We are liable to judgment. We are lawbreakers. Like Israel, we are enslaved to our sin. But like Israel, God has heard our cries. And because God loves us, he has set us free from our slavery. Consider the source. Again, in verse 2, he says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He hasn't given a single command yet. He's done so much for us already. God has loved us and does love us. And we see this just in the order, just that he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of Egypt. Not a single command has been given yet. We talked about these first couple verses of Exodus 20 in the Bible discussion I do with international students at UT. And there was, you know, some anxiety. There was some hand-wringing as they were like, oh, man, these, these laws are kind of intense, you know, for God to be like, have no other gods before me. I am a jealous God. You know, I can't really act that out. I'm not a good actor. But um, I just remember seeing the students being like, uh, I mean, it's God, but it's pretty strict. Like, this is kind of intense. But they realize, wow, not, not a single command has been given yet. God has already freed them. They are in Sinai. They are out of Egypt and God is giving them these commandments. That changes everything. It obviously would be very different if when Israel was crying out in Egypt, God said to them, I hear your cries. Behold, here are 10 commandments. When you do them perfectly all the time, then I'm going to set you free. They would still be in Egypt if that was the case. If God just gave us the law and said, figure it out, I'll see you when you've made yourself good enough, then you can come be my people. 
But he has said to them, I am your God. I have freed you. I love you. And as we saw last week, I am with you. I am providing for you. When God was preparing the people to receive this law, he told Moses that he was going to call these people to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And again, before the people had received a single commandment, Moses tells them what God had said. And verse 8 of chapter 19 says, All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Again, they haven't received a commandment, but they do know and they see God has freed them. God has done so much for them. They remembered that God loves them. And God loves you. God loves us. Not because we're good enough, not because we're capable enough, but because that's who he is. And because he loves us, because he is love, He has freed us. He has freed those who turn to him. Do we know that? Have we experienced the freedom that God has already given to us? Or are we striving? Are we struggling? Are we like I often do, using the law to try to prove ourselves, to try to prove that we don't need anybody's help, we don't even need God's help because we're good enough? God did not give us the law to enslave us. God gave us the law because we could not free ourselves. He gave us the law to show us who we are, who he is, but also how he loves us. God is not a legalist. He doesn't use the law to beat us down like I might, like any of us might, to show us, hey, you did this wrong Here's how you should feel bad about it. He does use it to convict us of our sin. But he does that to change us, to bring us to himself. Like Israel, God freed us by accomplishing what we could not. It was only God that could attain righteousness for us. Again, because we are sinful and we should mourn our sin. But the good news, the hope of this passage, the hope of the Ten Commandments is that this is what God is like, and this is what he has secured for us. God's law shows us what it means to be free. And while our identity now is is sinful people, is lawbreakers, the Ten Commandments show us the identity that God has given us in Christ. That's what we have to be thankful for this Thanksgiving season. God wants us because he loves us to be free and he wants to show us how to be free not by doing it ourselves but by saying this is what is true of you this is what you are becoming by the blood of Jesus the law restricts sin but it gives tremendous freedom for all a ton of areas even though these commands are phrased negatively you shall have no other gods before me Negative commands are more freeing than positive commands. Again, the daycare example that I use, to don't run instead of walk. Walking is the only thing that is acceptable. And just as the lie from Satan to Adam and Eve when he said, did God say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? 
They could have corrected him and said, God said, you cannot eat from this one tree, but you have the whole rest of the garden to eat from. You have the king's garden, and there's only one little dinky tree over here that you can't eat from. Some of us, myself included, may want steps. We may want the law to be more clear. We may want to use it and see it as the checklist or as the roadmap to how to get to God. And we may want those steps because we don't know how to truly be free. I know I don't. I know when I was much younger, my concept of true freedom was staying up all night, not sleeping, playing video games, eating pizza, and drinking soda, basically just ingesting junk visually, auditorily, eating it, all kinds of stuff. I don't know how to be free, and I like to think that it only took a couple times doing that to realize that that was not the model of human flourishing, that that was not how I was going to survive and live a long, healthy life. But even still, when Mary Rose is out of town, I want to eat pizza rolls and watch Netflix and play Super Nintendo or whatever. So I probably just still don't really know how to be free. But what we see in the Ten Commandments, what we see here is that God has already freed us. Like Israel, he loves us and he has freed us. So he gave Jesus for us. Jesus who himself in John chapter 14 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. And Psalm 119 compares, as we said earlier, it compares God's commandments to his steadfast love, compares them to the source of life because God himself is the source of life. He has given us life. He has given us the law, but he has given it to us to change us. By Jesus' blood, by his sacrifice, he has made these commandments true of us. And that's not to say, as Paul warns against in Romans, that's not to say that we can continue in sin, that grace may abound. But friends, it is true that we are under grace, that we have been freed from our slavery to sin. And God is making this true of us by the blood of our brother, Jesus. Exodus, this old, Old Testament story, is a story about us. Like Israel, we are enslaved and we are incapable of setting ourselves free. But God hears our cries. He has heard our cries and has already freed us through Jesus. So let us with joy turn to the God who saved us with assurance that he has already freed us, that he has already changed our identity to make us a holy priesthood and a kingdom of priests by the blood and righteousness of his only son. Friends, this is the good news. This is the gospel. Let us turn now to God in prayer and thank him that he has freed us. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this law, Lord. Please change our hearts, change our attitudes towards your law, Lord. Help us to 
to quit our striving, to quit trying to get there ourselves. We can't do it. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see that you have done it for us. You have done it through your son. Lord, as we come now to your table, help us to feed by you, Lord. You are the source of life. You are the source of goodness. And you are the source of everything that we have, Lord. We thank you for your goodness to us, and we pray these things in your son Jesus' name.